Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And today we have a very special guest on our show. We're talking to Sarah Martin of Bell and Sebastian. And Sarah's great. I actually met her a little while ago in Atlanta and wanted to invite her onto the show to talk not only about her career with Bell and Sebastian, but also about women in indie rock today and maybe some of her idols when she was growing up. But so we've actually had uh, Christina Lee, a music journalist on the podcast before, to talk about women in hip hop. And today we want to talk about women in indie rock, small labels versus big labels, women in music in general. And of course, talk to Sarah about what's going on with her. Yeah. And on a personal note, I have to say that I've been so excited about this interview because Bell and Sebastian was a formative band of my youth. I... Listen to so many of the albums, cried to so many of the albums as well. So I've been really excited, and I know that a lot of our listeners, too, are probably big fans of Bell and Sebastian, so this is a really special interview for us to get to do today. Yeah, absolutely. So welcome, Sarah. Hi. <laughs> Hello. 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 Um. So first things first, Sarah, let's talk about you as a kid. I want to know... If you had a musical upbringing, were you a musical kid? Did you play instruments? Did you want to be a musician? What's the deal? Um, I didn't really, I don't think I wanted to be a musician particularly. Um, I mean, I, th- I think music was always sort of around in my family and you know, my parents both, they were both just kind of teachers of, of modern languages, but they, they both had, you know, they both played instruments as well. And, um, you know, I guess my brother and I both sort of went for music lessons and stuff but you know it was it was just it, it didn't seem like a a thing particularly uh, so many you know so many of my friends did the same and you know it was mostly social actually you know the fun the fun part of music was always social it was getting to kind of get out of school and go to choir days and go to orchestra practices and things like that you know that was fun well, one thing we've talked about in the podcast before, um, in, in a lot of different fields and industries is the importance of visibility, really, and having role models to kind of introduce kids, especially young girls and young women into different fields. And I think the same thing could be said of music. Did you have any role models growing up or as you got older? You know what? I, I, I just, so someone came back into my head there that I probably hadn't thought of in like 30 years or something, but there was, my mum used to take me to this, to see this woman, she was called Atara Bentovim, I think, um, and she played the flute, and, you know, when I was perhaps four or five or something, my mum used to take her to, to these, take me to her concerts, and, you know, they were very aimed at little girls, probably, but, um, you know, I, I loved, I totally loved that, you know, I would kind of ask for her records and stuff, and uh so I guess she would have been quite an early role model. And that, you know, that was probably why I was determined that I would play the flute as well. Well, speaking of playing the flute, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your start with Bell and Sebastian, how that happened? And in addition to the flute, what instruments you play as well? Um, well, I, I guess like when I started with the band, it was, it was mostly because I, I knew, um, I was in a class at university with Stuart's girlfriend at the time, who is Joanne, who was on the front of Tiger Milk. Um, and she 
was saying, you should, you know, Stuart is trying to get a band together. You should join his band. Um, and I was going, absolutely not. No, <laughs> I don't want to join a band. And then I heard his songs and I was like, yes, I should join Stuart's band. I like, I like this. This is, this is my, this is my thing, really. Um, and so that was it. You know, he kind of just, I, th- I think he'd been trying for a long time to get people that would just humor him. You know, so many people had just thought he was going, you know, just not really getting anywhere for a long time. And I think, you know, people had been in, a, in his band for a few weeks and then just dumped him for so long that I think anyone that was was actually kind of happy to hang about with him, he was happy to hang about with them as well, really. What was your initial resistance to the mere idea of joining a band, just out of curiosity? Well, mostly because I'd I'd spent so I mean, all the time I was at university, I was really good friends with this guy called Jason, who um, I was, uh, you know, he, he was, re- you know, we kind of had similar taste in music, but he, you know, to him, like the all important thing seemed to be to have a band. Um, but, you know, he kind of, he, you know, he would always just try and get me Sunday mornings into a rehearsal space or something. And I was just like, come on, come on, we're not doing anything here. This is, but it, you know, it was just, it was just kind of what, I guess I was being to him what everybody had been like to Stuart for years, you know, just like not really, not really feeling it at all. And, you know, just the, you know, I just spent too long surrounded by boys that wanted to be in bands. And I just thought it was kind of nonsense, really. And uh, <laughs> not that I, not that I didn't think bands were good, but I just thought that, like, you know, for the idea of being in a band to be the most important thing, see, you know, that that seemed to be what they maybe suffered from a little bit. To my, you know, I was obviously like twenty or something, and thinking that there were, you know, there were there was something special about proper bands or something and you know that you didn't realize that, that actually you know there's not much difference between proper bands and your friends bands actually also um how did your how did that perspective shift though as you as you joined up with Stuart and joined the band well it was it was actually you know just kind of listening to what he was he was trying to persuade my my roommate Jason to and um, to join his band which would never have worked because they're both kind of like they they couldn't be in someone else's band either of them, um, but you know Jason played me this tape and I was like that's amazing and I guess the band you know the band sort of it you know you, you just, I guess you just realised that we we kind of made records I suppose we were a little bit more we were a little bit more kind of business like about things in a way in a way I mean we were pretty uh, it was quite it was ramshackle but. It wasn't, it wasn't just about kind of getting in a room and making as much noise as possible. It was always quite, you know, Stuart always kind of disciplined everybody quite a lot in terms of, you know, he used to really not like folk just noodling away and jamming and stuff. He would be like, no, come on, let's focus on, on the songs and stuff. And I suppose like, I suppose that's the thing. That's what I love about our band that there's, there's kind of songs and stuff and what I always felt less rewarding about other friends' bands was that they would just kind of often degenerate into just lengthy drum and guitar-based 
rock out jams or something. And I, you know, I kind of didn't really feel very at home in that. But, you know, Bell Sebastian's quite focused on singing and things as well, you know. Yeah, well, I have to ask, um, cause you weren't the only woman in the band when it first started, right? No, well, the, there was Isabel who, um, she was the only woman in the band for the first album. And then mm-hmm. I joined after that. And, um, and then there was the two of us for a few years. And then she, yeah, then she really, I think she was much more into doing her own thing. She had, she had her own sort of solo project and that was really, what she was mostly focused on, really. Would you say that being the only woman in the band colors your experiences at all, like as far as touring or songwriting even? I don't know about songwriting-wise, but maybe maybe the boys would disagree. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I guess there's like a couple of days a month where I sometimes don't feel very well for girlish reasons and... Um, and I may be, you know, obviously boys don't have periods and lucky boys. And, uh, but I think, I think other than that, there's not, you know, there's not really much of an impediment kind of touring wise to, and actually, you know, there's, there's a girl who plays cello with us, um, on tour. And, uh, so, she, you know, I'm not, I'm not usually the only girl when we're away on tour. Um, Fiona, who, works in our office sometimes comes away with us as well and you know there's there's folk about but i don't really i don't think there's very much there's not that much difference really between the boys and me i don't think i mean i don't i'm not i'm not like a a girly girl (laughs) really um and I, i kind of you know i do i do sort of make it a source of you know it's a bit of a point of principle that i kind of carry my own stuff and things like that you know i don't expect the boys to be my butlers or whatever you know um i don't really think there's that much difference actually they're not you know none of them are monsters or anything and (laughs) you know hopefully i'm not some horrible diva or anything and uh i mean Stuart can i think Stuart can probably sing higher than me and you know there's i think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's not that different between being a boy and being a girl. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, it sounds yeah. like it's a fairly you know egalitarian it is. band think, as much as it can I think, be. I think it is, and I mean, I, I know that like I know that the boys would probably, if they could, you know, if they could have some a couple of girls in their late twenties hanging about, they would probably really really like that. And people get older, you know. I can't stay 26 forever and, uh, we're, you know, we're all, we're all just who we are, I suppose. Well, I know one of the reasons Caroline was really interested to talk to you on the podcast, in addition to learning about your musical background and your insights on all of that, but also uh, learning more about your non-music playing duties for the band. Cause, um, as I understand, you are also, uh, you also have a, a big role in the business side of Bell and Sebastian. And especially as large and well-known as the band is today, um, could you talk a little bit about what you do on that end of things? Well, I, you know, I don't really feel as though I do have a big role in the business end of things, really. I mean, I guess we're, we all have sort of a, a certain amount of responsibility for, for just the, the running of the band. I guess it's like, if you're an independent 
band, then you do you do kind of have to take decisions as a as a group, and you know that some some decisions are kind of hard to take. And um, but yeah, you know, we're I'm, I'm not really more involved in that stuff than any of the others. I don't think. But uh, you know, I, I kind of I maybe help out in the office a bit more than most. You know, when there's when there's a lot of t-shirts to send out and stuff, or posters that need to be rolled up and taken to the post office, then I I quite like I like clerical tasks from time to time. <laughs> I like a pile of things that starts off not done and ends up done. I think there's something very satisfying about that. Well, it can probably be a nice break too. At, at least uh, when I'm deep in creative work, mm. clerical tasks like that. Oh, so such... appealing! <laughs> yes, because it's like a finite thing. You can cross yeah. off a list. Yes, because oh, yeah. <laughs> you know songs are never finished, really, are they? And you know records are. You just kind of have to. There just comes a point where you kind of have to go right. We've we've done our best. We have to just kind of let this go now and. You know, you can actually post something <laughs> to the right address and stick the right postage on it. And, and, you know, you've done, you've done it right. You know, it's good. It's enjoyable to, it is enjoyable to do that stuff. I'm glad I don't do it day in, day out, every day, but it's a, it's a good thing. And I, you know, I, I kind of, I've been known to do some sort of design for t-shirts and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I also, I, I enjoy, I enjoy kind of proofreading album sleeve inserts and things like that. You know, I like I like grammar and spell checking and things, which I don't think too many of the boys would do. You're a woman after our own heart. Yeah. Sarah. <laughs> grammar Nazi. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, well, Kristen and I definitely wanted to get into talking about sort of indie rock in general. And um, one of the things we were thinking about is the fact that indie rock and indie labels are often said to be friendlier to women compared to the bigger labels or bigger genres. And mm. is this something that you would agree with? And, and what about your own label? Well, we, we um, I guess, I mean, I, I, th- I, I feel as though Matador who are our, like, for the first time, they're our kind of worldwide label. You know, they, in the past, they've been our label for more or less from the start, but um, they were kind of a licensee, I suppose. So we didn't have a direct relationship in the same way that we do now, but I feel that they are really, you know, they've got, they've definitely got a pretty solid track record of putting out, you know, putting out records by women who maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I just think they you know, they've put out all the all the Yola Tango records and stuff, and um, you know, I just, I don't know. I think, I think that I'm, I feel pretty, I feel pretty happy that we are on that label really at the moment. But um, we've never been on a major label though, so I, I don't know whether I would be able to compare. But I do sort of suspect that. Um, I, th- I think an awful lot about our band wouldn't really fly with a major label. But I think we're just not, I, I don't know, I think we're probably not very marketable or something. Um, or I, t- I don't know, I just, I just think we're, we are, I think we are kind of, there's no, there's no way other than independence for us. I think we're just, we just kind of can only be the thing that we are, you know, and the the band that we are. And 
you know, we have we have kind of ambition and aspirations and stuff. But, um, you know, I don't think I don't think anybody would be, you know, put into a flash suit and stuck in a video or so. You know, I, I think I think there's there's too much that we're, we're too old as well to be sort of crammed into someone else's idea of what a, what a band should be or what a singer should be or whatever, you know. I wish I'd I wish I'd listened to your thing about hip hop labels though. That would be interesting. Well, one yeah. thing that came up in that conversation about hip hop and also comes up a lot when it in these discussions of whether indie rock is friendlier in quotes to women is yeah. that issue of marketing. Exactly what you're talking about in terms of having more freedom and independence to let your music stand on its own and kind of be who you are. Mm -hmm. And in that way, it seems like women and whether she's a front woman or a solo artist or a member of an ensemble Mm. is often less subjected to sexualizing in marketing that we will often see in female musicians in more mainstream music. And also, I I suppose the thing is, I think, I think major labels, and like more mainstream things, the only, the only way that they can kind of, I think it probably does come down to the fact that they, they need to spend quite a lot of money to, to make, to make something a success. You know, even, even if there's an inherent amazing quality to something, I think just to get things into the mainstream, it, it means that people need to throw so much money at advertising and all that. That they don't want to take any chances at all, and so they want people. I think I think they do probably want people to look a, a certain way, and um, you know, probably get in the press in a certain way or whatever. And I th- I think it's it's a kind of tribe. You know, I mean, you, if you go to the Motown Museum, and they, you know, they tell you about the charm school and everything, and you know, the girls being taught to get out of cars without showing their underwear and stuff and uh you know it's all it's all very it's all very kind of coach you know I, I think the, I think you can you can need quite a lot of sort of coaching or something to to do that maybe I don't know I, th- I think things are no nobody's going to take a chance when they're talking about megabucks I think but I, I guess I guess that's the thing with with indie rock labels there's maybe not so much megabucks at stake so they can you know they can afford to let you be yourself a little more so matador did not send you to a charm school they didn't send me to charm oh. school i know that you'd, you'd think that they would definitely i mean i could do with some polish that's for sure <laughs> i don't know sarah i think you're pretty polished yeah well <laughs> i'm as i mean i'm probably about as polished as most of them you know, we're <laughs> we're kind of slightly unpolished people together. But I mean, I, I think that's a better way to be. Honestly. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk to Sarah some more about indie rock in the U.S. versus the U.K. So hold tight. And now back to the show. So we, we've talked about kind of the major label versus indie label thing and, and women's ability to kind of move around in that arena. Um, 
But we also wanted to ask you about your perspective on the U.S. versus the U.K. Because Kristen found this great piece in The Guardian that was talking about indie rock in the United States versus the U.K. Mm -hmm. And there was a quote that said, British indie has been and still is consistently and significantly more egalitarian in terms of gender relations than America. What's your take on that? I, you know, I'm always I always kind of feel like there's maybe more you know, indie girl bands from America than than from here. But maybe that's maybe that's just because we kind of spend time over there and we kinda of have friends. But you know, your Sleater Kinneys and all this kind of thing. You wouldn't you know, I I'm never really aware of that kind of thing in British indie circles really. Um in this in the same way, you know, not not that becomes such established groups really i you know i i think i think american indie is pretty good for the girls really um, yeah who uh what kind of bands are you thinking besides slater kinney um uh, yeah i don't know like slumber party and um dum dum girls and that kind you know i I think there's some i think there's some it's hard it's hard to think of as many parallels in britain as there are as, as the American kind of things. But then again, you've got a bigger country. You've got a lot more people. You've got more girls. Um, but no, I, th- I, th- I think America's pretty good. I mean, when I was, when I was like a teenager, I saw Kim Gordon and I was just like, wow, that is, that's what, you know, I would want, you know, I, I would love to be as cool as her, you know, it, she just seemed to have like, the best of, you know, the best of everything, you know, the whole Sonic Youth were my favorite band in the world when I was like 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, they, you know, they were just a way of life to me. And I just, you know, she's not just involved in music, you know, she was kind of designing stuff and involved in art and things. And I, I just thought, well, that's, that's the ultimate kind of Renaissance woman thing. And, you know, it's it's not like I kind of had ambitions or anything to to be, you know, to be like her. But I just thought, well, you know, she's just the coolest. And I could I couldn't really I couldn't say that I had a similar hero on that scale in Britain, to be honest. But if I'd if I'd been a little older, then maybe Kate Bush would have been that. You know, she's kind of that sort of multidisciplinary. Thing that I think I think you know I think I'm just slightly too young to maybe have got Kate Bush the first time round. I'm also curious too, just thinking about uh, the whole girl group movement in the U.S. Of uh, there's recently been a lot of revived attention to Riot Girl, yeah. Kathleen Hanna, and all of that here, and wondering if there were what kind of exposure to, if any, to that movement there was overseas and whether there was like a similar kind of, I mean, I guess that's more getting into punk than indie, but I'm sure those circles intersect. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think like when I was, when I was at high school, that was something that, you know, because it, it like bordered on Sonic Youth, I was, I was kind of interested in it a little bit. I, it wasn't really the, I wasn't really majorly into the records or anything, but because, you know, it kind of, it was definitely a sort of crossover and a lot, a lot of my friends were really, you know, really into the kind of babes in Toyland, riot girl kind of thing. 
Well, so I guess moving off of that, the Riot Girl question, um, something that seems to come up a lot in the media nowadays, not to sound like I'm some old fogey, the media nowadays, um, but a lot of journalists nowadays are asking young musicians whether they're feminists. And there's always this big brouhaha with mm. however the young star responds. Like, what do you, th- what do you think of that? Both of the whole issue of feminism in music, which is a large issue to talk about, but more specifically, journalists sort of pinning this on young pop stars. Mm. It's funny because like, I, you know, I had a friend who was like totally you know, really, really, really kind of proud to describe herself as a feminist. And, you know, we used to argue a lot because I I was like, well, I don't know whether I am a feminist. There are things that it's kind of pointless to to kind of kid yourself that men and women are the same in in some respects. And, uh, but, you know, I think as I, you know, I the new, the new kind of, I feel more more like a feminist now. It feels as though feminism has maybe changed a little bit and people don't kind of necessarily kind of go, well, I should be able to do this and have... I guess it's the, it's the whole having it all thing, you know. I think it's very hard. And I know, I know a co- I've got a couple of friends who do have really exciting careers and families as well, but they, you know, they really really have to work for it you know it's it's a it's a very difficult thing i don't i i think it is um you know there's there's a there's a right to equality but there's also um i think that you need to be kind of reasonably accepting of the fact that you it's hard to have it all i think it is hard to have it all and i think you know the opportunity to to you know pick the way you want to go in life is that's that's the kind of feminism that I embrace wholeheartedly. I, I think if you if you want to kind of have a have a family and a career, then I don't see why there shouldn't be a way to make that happen. But there are there are obviously some careers where it, you know through no fault of anybody's, it's not easy to achieve that. You know, I think it would be quite hard to be a musician doing the stuff that our band does and be a mum, for instance, you know, I think it would be quite difficult. Well, tell us a little bit about who you're listening to today. Are there any especially female-fronted bands or women musicians who have especially caught your ears lately? I'm I'm pretty into there's this girl, this Welsh girl, Kate Le Bon, who I'm really quite into and um, I don't know whether, I don't know whether you've heard of Bat for Lashes it's this yeah oh yeah I really like I really like her um and you know I I just whenever I whenever I see Yola Tengo I'm just always blown away by Georgia I think I just think she's so inspiring really inspiring person to to watch and to be around and things she just she's just so she just seems like the steadiest person and I I do admire that. Well, that's about all the questions that Kristen and I had for you. Um, we would love it if you could tell our listeners where they could find out more about you and the band and some details about the upcoming record. Well, um, we have a reasonably uh, occasionally maintained website, which is 
bellandsebastian.com, but we're also on Twitter at it's Bells Glasgow and, uh, and also on Instagram with the same handle. And we are on Facebook as well. And, um, we've got a record coming out in January and it's going to be called Girls in Peacetime Love to Dance. No, Want to Dance. Girls in Peacetime Want to Dance. Um, and, uh, the, and the album was made in Atlanta, Georgia. Woo! Uh, woo! Um, <laughs> and Caroline's boyfriend played a, a major part in this. Woo! Woo! <laughs> yeah, those boys in Georgia did a really good job. Well, they had fantastic talent to work with, I'm sure. Well, they they definitely made us very welcome. Oh, that's great. Oh, well, they were good boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so, so, so much for talking to us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, Sarah, I have one last question okay. yeah. for you. Okay, so if there are... Younger girls listening who are interested in music and want to make it a career or, you know, like parents with musical children, what advice would you give to ambitious musical girls? I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I kind of think that it's the best, the best thing that you can do musically is play stuff that you like, really. I mean, I always, I always hated most of what my violin teacher used to make me play. And then, you know, every couple of years she would, well, I, I probably only had lessons with her for a couple of years, but you know, every, every like long period of time she would give me something and I would get really, really into it. And she'd be going, why can't, why can't you play, play these other things with the enthusiasm that you go about this? And it's, just, it's, I think it's just all about finding music that you actually want to play and, I don't think that I don't think that sort of making people play stuff that they're not into is going to feed an ambition somehow. <laughs> That's that would be that would be my tip. Just, you know, play what play what you like and don't make people play things they're not really feeling. Help them find help them find something that they they do love, you know? Because I don't, you know, music's all that's kind of all music's about if you can't if you can't really enjoy it, then there's not so much point, really. So a huge thanks again to Sarah Martin. And if you are not familiar with Bell and Sebastian and want an introduction to the band, I, I can recommend listening to Tiger Milk and If You're Feeling Sinister, which... I'm not kidding when I say that those were the soundtracks of my high school and early college days. So give it a listen. It's fantastic music and they are incredibly talented musicians. And if anyone is a fan of Bell and Sebastian or musically talented or in a band, we'd love to hear from you. What do you think it's like out there for women in indie rock? Let us know your thoughts. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. And now, back to the show. (laughs) 
I have a letter here from Dan uh, in regards to our PMS podcast. Dan says, I just wanted to thank you for the language you used in your PMS podcast that was trans-inclusive. Trans Awareness Week is coming up, and I'm doing work to organize it along with other gender women's studies organizations on my campus. Many people often use the vagina as a symbol for women's pride when not all women have vaginas and not everyone with a vagina is a woman. That is such a difficult thing to deal with and explain to people, so hearing trans inclusivity on your podcast was such a great start to my day. Thank you again, Dan. And Dan, thank you. Well, I've got a letter here also about our PMS podcast from Christian, subject line, a dude with PMS. He writes, I just started listening to the show and I've got to say I'm already in love. The PMS episode especially made me realize I've found pretty much the perfect podcast. As a trans man, I expect not to be included in discussions of typically women's health issues like PMS, which is fair to some extent because we make up a super small percentage of the population and because a lot of it stops applying to a lot of trans men at some point. Even so, I'm always extremely grateful when people acknowledge men with uteruses. Even more, you acknowledge that not all people who identify as women have the same biological parts, which was a nice inclusion of trans women as well. I wanted to write in not only to thank you for acknowledging trans men, but to share my recent experiences with PMS as well. I've had it to some extent since I started menstruating. Not enough that I ever went on medication for it, but enough that it was noticeable every month. I haven't had a period in six months now, but whenever my wife or I notices I'm getting particularly cranky, we'll look at the calendar and try to assess what part of my menstrual cycle I'll be at. Inevitably, we'll look at one another, nod sagely, and say, ah, yes, it's that time of the month. Now I wonder if I'm just using the social construct as an excuse for being snarky, or if there's something to it. Many trans men report this kind of thing after starting hormone therapy. The ghost of periods past, perhaps. Anyway, thanks for the fantastic podcast. As a trans dude, I feel like it's especially important for me to stay rooted and mindful to women's issues and feminist conversations. And your podcast seems like a really great way to do that. So thanks, Christian. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with links to Bell and Sebastian's website, which is apparently sometimes updated, <laughs> you can head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 